You are listening to Nerd Best Friends, a podcast that covers the nerdy conversations you're already having, or wish you could. It's the nerdiest thing you'll do this week. Welcome back to another episode of Nerd Best Friends. I'm Annalise, and I am here with my best friend, Rob. It's me, Rob, your best friend, your super nerd, and your podcast co-host. Nerd Best Friends can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and follow us now. If you would like to support our podcast, subscribe to Nerd Best Friends on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Or if you'd like to give a one-time donation, find us at Nerd Best Friends on Venmo. This is episode 41, and today we nerd out about that wacky web-slinging superhero from the East Coast. And back on today's episode is America's favorite teen nerd, Andrew, the high school version. But first... What I like about it. This week, hi Annalise. Hey Rob, how you doing this, today? I'm, I'm I'm well. I'm having a great time recording the <laughs> podcast. Looking forward to America's favorite teen. America's favorite teen nerd of this episode. The what I like about it is, and I we may have talked about this before back in season one, is digital comics. Oh Specifically yeah. digital comics over physical comics. Sorry, friendly local comic book shop, but digital comics are way better because you can have them on your phone when you're waiting in line. You can have them on your iPad while you're, whatever, lying in bed and not have to turn on an overhead light to see them. They are a way that you can collect, you can view, you can revisit without big, stinky long boxes taking up space in your house and taking up space in your closet digital comics for me mean reading a ton more comics than i would if i were still having to go to the comic book shop every wednesday and picking up new issues or if i were having to keep track of what i wanted to read and buying graphic novels and these kinds of things and ordering stuff it's just there and so many of them offer the subscriptions you know the marvel unlimited app is the one i probably use the most comiXology you can get what you want or they also have a unlimited subscription plan where you can just go in and browse and then i read a ton of stuff on hoopla which is the library app that has library so many right and just go through that so it makes it super convenient it makes it so i've read literally hundreds more comics than i would have if i were still collecting them physically digital comics are the coolest well i have a question for you this is a real serious question not making fun of our ages both of us are in our 40s do you not have trouble staring at screens to read for some time do you ever like i'm experiencing eye fatigue now even now that i'm back to wearing glasses when i read or stare at a computer i agree with you that the library apps like hoopla and other apps make it more accessible because i have a funky thing about like getting comic books from the library because people are dirty and the comics get all icky, <laughs> right? right? So to go to Hoopla with my library card is really accessible and also affordable, right? I can't go out and buy every comic book that I want to read. It's just not feasible. I have a limit to screens and reading comic books on screens. I get to a point where I just can't do it. I do for everything. I am very diligent about making sure that all of my settings on my screen are maxed out as far as like adjusting with the light in the room to make sure that it goes super low if I'm in low light and things so it's not blaring in my face turning the blue light feature off or the anti-blue light feature on however it works on whatever device so I do know I, I do feel you on that I guess with comics and with a lot of things I'm not 
just sit for hours and hours. Like if I'm at work staring at my screen for hours and hours, I definitely get that like eyeball headache kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That also could be that when I'm looking at my computer, the monitors are not super great and super sharp. Where if I'm reading a digital comic, it's on my iPad, which is like crystal clear. I don't know. Right. That's a good point. No, for the most part, I do okay. But I do definitely take those precautions to try to modify those screens because... I'm familiar with the problem. Yeah, I even uh, had the I, I they they put the blue light blocker thing on my glasses and it helps yeah. some, but just if I'm thinking about reading at the end of my day after I've been at work all day, I'm on screens all day, I have my phone, like being a principal is pretty busy where I am constantly toggling between different screens. So you make a point like my screens at work aren't as good as like my iPad. But when I get home, like the last thing I want to do is open my iPad and look at a screen more, which is why we talked about two episodes during our book nerds. I tend to gravitate towards physical books because it's a it's a break for my eyes when I'm reading. Part of it might be necessity as well. Like I read in bed before I go like before I go to sleep, I'm always read whether I like yeah. knock out a comic book or I'm reading yeah. right now I've been reading our new campaign book for the Dungeons and Dragons. Oh sure. Yeah. that we're starting and I've just been kind of chunking away at that every night and I can't turn the lights on to read a physical book. True. Because yes. <laughs> Maria needs to be sleeping. So it partly might just be necessity because I read in bed so often. The other thing about digital comics is so cool is I've definitely spoke about this before because I thought it was the coolest thing is I keep my comic book collection now in a photo album. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. When I start an issue, I screenshot the cover and put it in an album so that I've got them all in one place if I ever want to look like, oh, my collection, here's all these comics that I've read and I had it streaming on my Apple TV and stuff is kind of a cool way to display that. However, I recently found out, did you know you can only have 5,000 photos in an Apple uh, album? Are you telling me you... (laughs) You have more than 5,000 comic book covers. I have more than 5,000 comic book covers. Holy cow. Spring over them into the album and Holy it said, cow. no, album full. You're you a sucker. Yeah, I was wow. like, oh, no, what do I do now? I had no idea. Wow. that Congratulations. And also, Apple, what are you doing? I know. What are you doing, Apple? You can't put more than 5,000 photos in an album. Why why a limit? Why would there be a limit? Apple's supposed to be limitless. Yeah, just works my butt. (laughs) I, I, you know, I do like digital comics. We talked about in the, what, a couple seasons ago now, now that we have multiple seasons, we talked about our non-superhero favorites. Two of my non-superhero favorites, my friend Dahmer and Fun Home, I have digitally. I love zooming in and like looking at the detail of the artwork on the panels. When you read digital comics, do you use the like guided view where it zooms to a just a frame and then you flip it and it goes to another like just a frame? Or do you look at the whole page at once? I did for a little bit, but I like looking at the whole page and then zooming into the frame I'm on and letting me control when I where I want my eye to focus, especially for both. Both of those texts do some things that are out of the box. So if it zooms to a frame, I may not see the content because it's somewhere else outside of the frame. I keep it on the regular page view so it looks yeah. like a comic book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. If I accidentally, because sometimes you'll accidentally turn that on by like double tapping or like moving your thumb or something and then it starts doing the thing. I'm like, oh gosh darn it. No, don't stuff. do it. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, what I like I about it is... I... King, give me back my page. <laughs> There's... 
there's definitely been times. What I like about it is there's definitely been times that I've reread those real quick just because I'm, you know, I'm working, working, working. I'm going to take a break. Let me close my computer and or put my phone down. Let me grab my iPad and I'm going to read through my friend Dahmer for a little bit. But you make a good point about backlights. You know how hard it is to explain to like Andrew's age of kids what it was like to have devices without backlights. I was trying to explain a Game Boy to a group of kids. I'm mm. like, do you realize you had to have a light on it? They're like, what? And I said, you couldn't, it couldn't be too bright because you couldn't see the screen, but it, you couldn't see it in the dark because there's no backlight. They like couldn't fathom what that meant. So I told them, just go, go to YouTube and search the original Game Boy and you'll see it was, they had a little attachment at one point, like a little lamp that would go. I remember yep. the little Game Boy lamp. Yes. So backlit devices. Thank you. Technology. I remember my friend's mom had the little light on the Game Boy so she could play Tetris mm-hmm. <laughs> all night on the Game Boy mm-hmm. without disturbing your partner. See, not much has changed. There you go. All right. How about some nerd mail? Nerd mail. Okay, Rob, we have some really great listeners that really pay attention to some of our things that we throw out. I know we've talked about at some point how you and I used to watch the comedy troupe show The State in high school. It was, what, two or three seasons on MTV, and it was comedy troupe similar to Kids in the Hall, comedy troupe similar to Mad TV, and it was actually placed between those two giants of comedy troupe TV, right? You could say Saturday Night Live is a comedy troupe, but they're more of, like, pure sketch than a troupe. Saturday Night Live or the um, yeah, yeah, or yeah. gosh, which was first Saturday Night Live or like Monty Python's show? Ooh, I think Monty Python would have been first. Nerd correct us, nerds. But mm. anyways, Rob and I watched the state and we must have must have mentioned it at some point in one of our episodes the last few seasons because a listener sent in a link and alerted us. The cast of the state is doing a reunion tour and it started with two shows in New York and a show in Los Angeles and now... I guess due to the popularity, they're expanding it. So I'm super excited. There's one here in Northern California coming up next month and I'm toggling whether or not to go drive down to the Bay Area two hours away from me on a school night to go watch the state. I just, I wish, this is one of of the times lately I've been like, man, if I hadn't moved, you know, me and Rob would do it. We would go do it and just suffer the next day. But uh, (laughs) I'm super excited. Like, I don't know about that. I think I would not come home that night. What do you mean you would not come home that the night? The school night is rough. You got to get it. Like, if you're going to go, I mean, for me, that's 400 miles away. I'm not going to drive home that same night. I got to stay over. And no, no. I meant I wish I hadn't moved. Like, if I was still in Santa Barbara, we right. would drive. I guess you're right. To LA and back would be about 400 miles, right? Oh, yeah, you can do it. I, it's not pleasant. That's why I don't go to as many, like, sporting yeah. events as I would like to in LA. Because game starts at 730. It's ending at like 10 30 and then you gotta like fight the traffic you don't yeah. get home until two hours back and yeah. it's rough to get up the next morning but if i were still living in town with you i think we would do it i think we would suffer a school night and do it but i'm super excited you know what's most impressive about it to me so much comedy since the 90s is because of this troop of people the biggest one being well, reno 911 up everywhere yeah Yeah, different comedies and movies and shows and things. And even if you don't see them physically, they are responsible for so many comedic movies and television shows and writing because they've created or produced or written for so many different things in the last 30 years. And like I was saying, the most popular being Reno 911 is the biggest hit of theirs. But I mean, one of the cast members from the state was in what's the Andy Samberg one? That's also police force. Reno. 
Reno nine one one. No, no, no. Brooklyn nine nine. Brooklyn nine nine. There's one of the cast members is on that, right? Like they're just all over the place. The whole cast of them. I'm looking forward if we if I pull that trigger. But thank you to the listener who wrote in and alerted us to this. We'll let you know at some point for sure on the on the show if if one of us or both of us end up going to see it. And now on to the topic of the show. So every season we do a show about superheroes. First season was Batman. Batman. Second season was Spider-Man. Nope. No, it was. Come on. Second <laughs> second season. Second That's season right, was. The first season we did Batman and the second season we did Superman. And we've been saving my favorite superhero. This episode we are talking about Spider-Man. The one and only Spider-Man. And Andrew, Not welcome. all the one and only Spider-Man. So many Spider-Men. Um, actually, there's many Spider-Men, including... Listen, we're not talking about the multiverse the yet. Morality. Let's go back to like 1950 or whatever when Stanley wrote Spider-Man. What, what year is it? What year is it? What, 1970? 1918? You know, it's funny. 1942. Just give me the answer! <laughs> when Stanley wrote Spider-Man, it started as a singular. So we're going to go with the singular until we talk about the multiple. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Yep. It wouldn't be a proper Spider-Man issue if there wasn't an awesome team-up. So I'm here to give you guys a hand with this episode. I love Spider-Man. I used to think it was so cool that he was in high school. I was like, wow, he's so old because he's in high school. And now I'm in <laughs> high school. And, you know, it's not all it's cracked up to be. But well, you would get that from the comics. Peter Parker was bullied because he was a nerd. Yeah, but I, I'm not a nerd. I'm cool. Mm, you're America's favorite mm. team nerd. Let's try again. Mm. <laughs> Just don't go on field trips and don't get bit by a spider. You'll be fine. You'll survive high school. Let's talk about Spider-Man. I, I find it very endearing, by the way. Rob, I don't know that you know that I know this story, but your mom told me once upon a time long ago how you used to put on your Spider-Man costume in your your housing complex mm -hmm. and deliver the newspapers to everyone in your complex. I find it so absolutely endearing that Andrew, your son, also loves Spider-Man that he probably would have done the same thing if he had the chance at that age. So Thank I really love that we're talking that about story. That. Yeah, my mom and my mom had to of course she made on little post-it notes she would write for me because i was like four she would right. write courtesy of your friendly neighborhood spider-man yes on these little post-it notes and i'd take the post-it notes and stick them on the newspaper under the little rubber band that held the newspaper folded and go deliver <laughs> in my little spider-man costume <laughs> to all my neighbors and deliver the papers I uh, and I 100% uh, think that was would something Andrew would have done if you had a similar like living complex when he was that age. The fact that you both love Spider-Man, I love so much for my feet is just such a cool thing to see. Let's drop the knowledge. Let's talk about Spider-Man. I am your basic of most basic fans right now. I know the basic canon. Peter Parker was a nerd. He got bit by a spider. He gets some powers. Somewhere there's an untimely death. He's sad and he's mad and he does the things and he becomes Spider-Man. Becomes a vigilante. Yes. That's what I know. Spider-Man Spider was created by Stan Lee and drawn by Steve Ditko okay. 1962. He gets those spider powers and he, and we'll talk later, one of the things that Peter Parker always 
deals with is poverty. He is, he's a high school kid whose parents have died. I think depending on what era it is, it's either a car accident or a plane crash or something like that. And he goes to live with his aunt and uncle who are retired people living on a fixed income. And now they have to take in this high school student and it's a financial burden for them, but they're very loving. And Spider-Man always kind of, or Peter Parker always carries around that kind of weight on his shoulders. So when he gets these powers of strength and agility, he immediately starts using them to try to make money. And feeling very confident in himself, he ignores a robbery. And that robber Mm -hmm. runs past him, not my problem, and then goes on to shoot his Uncle Ben, causing even more trauma. And that sense of having this great power means that he's got responsibility because when he didn't take that responsibility, this is what happened, leads to his super superhero origin story. And this was very different. Spider-Man was kind of a response to the most popular superhero, Superman. Superman mm-hmm. is an all-powerful alien from another right. planet who has to pretend to be meek so that he can fit in with everyone else. But at his core, he's a god. Spider-Man, the complete opposite of that. Spider-Man, or Peter Parker, is a nerd. He's awkward. He doesn't, you know, he's not unpopular. And he can put on a mask and pretend that he's all-powerful. And that he can do what it is that he needs to do and be this superhero. And the important thing to remember is that even though there's this element of, you know, pretending and aspiring to be all powerful, Spider-Man is not like a power (laughs) fantasy character. He's meant to be relatable. Did you just steal my notes? Yeah, I thought that's what I thought that was. I don't have (laughs) notes. You said you didn't need (laughs) notes because you were getting improv. (laughs) No, you said we were going to use the notes. Please continue. He's a relatable Um, character. He's a relatable character. He's just like me. He's just like all of us. He deals with problems that, at the time, other superheroes just weren't. There was never an issue of Batman, where Batman gets a cold and can't fight the rhino because he's too busy (laughs) hawking up loogies inside of his mask. There's no, like, Captain America issue where best friend Bucky Barnes, like, is struggling with addiction at the time, like the infamous comics code-breaking issue of Spider-Man was with Harry Osborn. Spider-Man was a way to tell stories that were so unique and different from the other types of superhero comics that were on the stands. You're telling me Speedy is a junkie? So what's interesting about what you just said, Andrew, is you brought up two superheroes that were in my brain while, Rob, while you were talking about the introduction of who Peter Parker is, right? If you're looking from on the outside, like me, who doesn't deep dive into any of these superhero comics, I mean, it sounds like Peter Parker is a mix of Captain America, who's a meek person infused with something to give him powers and batman who's a vigilante obviously batman doesn't have powers he just has wealth and technology on his side is spider-man created as like a opposite of these guys is spider-man created to relate to the teenagers who are spending a nickel on their comics and something that's more feasible to a 13 year old's brain 100% the purpose of Spider-Man and Stan Lee's goal was that the average comic reader would pick up that comic book and see themselves in Mm. there. It's all those real problems. 
Today, I have to keep going to school and do my job, even though I have a cold. I was supposed to go pick up groceries for the family, but I lost my money. The only reason the comic book isn't called Peter Parker is because that wouldn't sell. Right? Peter mm-hmm. Parker is really the crux of any Spider-Man story. That's what draws the reader in, because a good Spider-Man story always has an A plot and a B plot. And one is what Peter Parker is dealing with, and one is what Spider-Man is dealing with. It's going to be, you know, on the cover, it's going to show Spider-Man fighting the rhino, the rhino. But it's going, that comic book is going to open with Peter Parker riding his bike home with two big full bags of groceries to take home to Aunt May. And then they get knocked over as the rhino busts through a wall and he's going to fight the rhino and he's going to get all beat up and it's going to be cold and he's going to go home and Aunt May is going to say, Peter, where's the the groceries again? You know, like something like that. Or he's swinging around. He's got to fight crime. He's got to do this. But oh no, the bank robbery was at the same time as his date with Mary Jane. There's always this kind of conflict of, oh, when I put on the mask, I'm the strongest, I'm the funniest, I'm the coolest guy in the room, and doing that always messes up my life. Am I a Muppet of a man or manly Muppet? Yeah, okay. All right. We also know that these Spider-Man comic books have become a multiple series of adaptations. Was the Tobey Maguire early 2000s adaptation the first spider-man adaptation was there were there ones before oh no there was some old spider-mans from like the 70s and i remember watching that movie over and over again on our like betamax tape recorder there was a comic book i'm sorry of course there's a comic book there was a uh cartoon as well like in the 80s right a spider-man cartoon oh yes the spider-man there was the spider-man cartoon which who was the vice voice of spider-man was it william shatner wait it was somebody famous surely not maybe not in the 80s because he would have been a full-grown adult in the 80s he would have already been captain kirk in 1967 to 1970 there was the Spider-Man cartoon. This is the Spider-Man this is the Spider-Man I knew when I was dressing up like Spider-Man delivering newspapers. Paul Souls was oh. was the voice of Spider-Man and the art is very reminiscent you know the animation is very reminiscent of what the comic books were kind of looking like at that time you would notice there were a lot of shortcuts like oh spider-man they like just didn't fill in the webbing on his costume in a lot of places because it would take too long this is the cartoon where the meme comes from with the spider-man pointing pointing. the other spider-man yeah is from that episode there was the 1967 spider-man cartoon show that was followed by spider-man and his amazing friends which is the one where it's him and Iceman from the x-men and fire firestar 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 that's the one i that's the one i watched wow spider-man and his amazing friends right wow living in an apartment with aunt may still living with aunt may even Mm -hmm. though he's got two like college student roommates (laughs) (laughs) poor poor aunt may (laughs) and then there was the one in the 90s and the one in the 90s was super cool because it literally just took comic books from the 60s Like those original stories, those flagship foundational arcs of Spider-Man and retold them with kind of updated look and art in uh, the 90s. And so if you wanted to know what Spider-Man is all about, but you didn't want to go back and read those kind of long-winded tons of text block 1960s comics, that cartoon series from the 90s is awesome. So then cartoon series show, cartoon series, and then we hit Tobey Maguire. Spider-Man colon The Dragon's Challenge, 1979. Wow. Mm-hmm. The Dragon's Challenge. 
You know who's in this movie? No. Nobody. Nobody you've ever heard of. <laughs> Just kidding. Ted Danson is in this movie. Ooh, Ted Danson play like Uncle Ben? There's like some bit part. He plays a, a major. Oh, jeez. He was a nobody at the time, I guess. Yeah, exactly. As Superman has become redone over and over, there's some really cool, like, people have put some images together of all the different people that have played Superman. I don't know if you've seen them float around your social media, but they're really cool. It'd be interesting for someone to put together all the different, like, versions of Spider-Man in live action films would be really cool. That's to gotta exist. Mm-hmm. Some nerd out there has done that. Send that over, listeners. If you can find like a cool collage of all the live action like including that movie including is it japanese yes it's the the, japanese Japanese spider-man where he has a voltron mac yes leo priden dropping the knowledge over here deep 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 dive i'm the biggest fan of the emissary from hell (laughs) spider-man okay (laughs) and yeah i that Spider-Man showed showed up in Spider-Verse, the mm-hmm. comic too, right? Yeah. This big old Voltron. <laughs> What's going on? For sure. For well, sure. so we're, if we look at film adaptations, then if we asked for a favorite, what would you say? Easy for me, hands down, Into the Spider-Verse, the greatest superhero movie ever made, hands down. We talk a lot about the popularity of the Marvel movies and how great they are and how fun the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. And one of the things that makes those movies awesome is they do a little matchup, right? It's a little elevator pitch. It's a superhero movie, but it's a spy thriller. It's a superhero movie, but it's a heist movie. It's a superhero movie, but it's a Greek tragedy. Like whatever it is, they do this kind of mashup so they don't all feel Mm samey. But as far as a pure superhero origin come to your own become the Spider-Man. Spider-Verse is by far like the greatest superhero movie I have ever seen in my life. It makes me laugh out loud. It makes me cry. It makes me full of hope and positivity and optimism for the youth of America. It's amazing. You're going one up on the category here. You're not just saying it's the best Spider-Man. You're saying it's the best superhero ever. And listeners, to be clear, Rob is talking about the Into the Spider-Verse animated films with the feature Spider-Man of Miles Morales. So there's two films on it. Is there one you like more than the other? I like the first one the best. That one I felt like was just transformative. The second one is absolutely awesome. Yes, pretty phenomenal. I'm going to wait and see, hopefully, we get a third one to end that story and we'll see how the whole arc works together that first one can stand alone the second one and and upcoming third one is kind of a continuation because it was so popular but that first one as a standalone movie is just perfect I'm going to say I I agree with you. Uh, What I like about the Spider-Verse film is that it really helps define the... I I, I like what it did with the the plot of of Spider-Man that we now know as canon, right? Mm -hmm. When Stanley created Spider-Man, he wasn't thinking canon, right? He was thinking of a story, right? And the adaptations between... They're just talking about adaptations, right? You were talking about the first issues of Spider-Man written in the 60s, and I was seeing the Tobey Maguire-like frame by frame on that introductory piece, right? The idea of a canon event and that it has to happen in order for the story to find its finality. And you're talking about time travel and multiverses end, 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 the way they define a canon event in those films. And the first one, they don't define it as much yeah, as they do, say, in the they second, do right? that in the second one. That's like, they, that's hang it, they hang their hat on it the second one, but the first one, you're still looking at the canon events. It's not in the same way that Stanley wrote it, which is what I also like about the 
Tom Holland Spider-Man, right? Aunt May is not an elderly. Mm-hmm. I think that they might be his, it might be his great aunt. I mean, she's really a lot older than Peter Parker, alluding that either his parents were really old or she's actually more like a grandmother figure, right? Yeah, um, Marissa Torme is a young aunt. Aunt May, and there's no Uncle Ben. Tom Holland doesn't even follow the quote-unquote canon of Spider-Man. So what I really like is how it defines it in that first film and how it just blows it up and hangs its hat on it in the second, and hopefully we get to see the resolution of the third. Um, and that was very much on purpose with with the original writing of the Miles Morales character in, yeah. the, in the comics. It was, you know, it's the same story, but it's very different because this is a different character. This isn't yeah. a replacement character or anything like that you know this wasn't the idea of oh we'll try to do something to get clicks and headlines spider-man is black now it was no this is a different character but he's still spider-man and just as Mm -hmm. spider-man is (laughs) spider-man he's just he's different and he's got the same origin story but it's different. It's he, he's his own character. Yeah. And, and he still has those parallel, right? The he has his yes. Miles Morales storyline of it looks like Getting he's screwing up in spider, school and the death yeah. of his yeah, uncle, yeah. the you know, that motivational yeah. factor, like all of that stuff. Like the yeah, it's it's fantastically done. The comic is great. That movie is absolutely incredible. And the Peter Parker or you know, original Peter Parker Spider-Man in that movie is fantastic. All yeah. versions of him are yes. On display in such a relatable way to comic book readers. You get the heroic Peter Parker Spider-Man played by Chris Pine at the beginning that makes you feel like, wow, this is Spider-Man. He's awesome. And then you also get the older kind of dumpy Spider-Man. Wearing sweatpants, super (laughs) related. Wearing the sweatpants, who is also super (laughs) relatable. If you've been reading Spider-Man for thirty years, right? Yes, yes. So it's just absolutely perfect. What do you got, Andrew? Well, obviously, there's no competing with Into the Spider-Verse. But for the sake of argument, if I had to pick a different movie to represent here, I would have to go with the two Amazing Spider-Man movies, specifically uh, the second one, Amazing Spider-Man 2, starring Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I like these movies. They've gotten a lot of criticism, but I... What I enjoy about them is that I feel like it's a good adaptation of that kind of like college aged Mm -hmm. Peter Parker with that like cynicism that he had when he was getting written by Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko is an artist. Who was then who wrote Spider-Man after Stanley got off the book for a bit in the early ages when he was getting into college? Gwen Stacy and Miles Warren. Gwen Stacy becomes an older age love interest, right? Yeah, she shows up. Like college age love interest after Mary Jane? Collaborative team. Yeah, collaborative teams, writer Stanley and Steve Dicko. So they collaborated. Oh, okay. Stanley, they were, they were having their arguments on the book and he was like, all right. Oh, you're absolutely right. They co-wrote. Stanley and Steve Dicko co-wrote Andrew and then John Romita took over the art and Stan Lee, oh, Gary Conway, of course, Gary Conway. It's cool. He's like, he's older and he's, he's, he's jaded, but also that doesn't show through when he's Spider-Man. He's not like mean Spider-Man. He's still all super upbeat and excited and he's, he's very friendly neighborhood. He's very like on the ground. 
talking to people. He has that scene right at the start of the movie with Maxwell Dylan as he's like still a regular guy on his way to work and he like falls and like drops all his papers and Spider-Man comes in, picks him up, brushes him off, slicks back his hair. You're not a nobody, you're a somebody. Mm-hmm. Get out there and and take on the world because I'm just like you, man. And it's like, hey, that's like, that's a cool, he's still relatable. He's still everything Spider-Man needs to be, but it's also paying homage to that more cynical piece. Peter Parker. I also really like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies for just that reason you said. You can tell in those movies he's been Spider-Man for a little while now, mm-hmm. right? This is like Spider-Man year five or Spider-Man year six. He still has his Peter pa- Parker problems, but when he is in the mask, he's got that confidence. He's got that quip. And like you said, in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, when he's trying to be funny or being quippy, it's almost like he's talking to himself or talking to the audience. Right. Mm-hmm. In this one, mm-hmm. he's really like hitting the bad guys with zingers as he's fighting them, which I think is, depending on who's writing, that's very Spider-Man as well, is I've got the confidence to just be irreverent and brave and just give you the business while we're punching each other and, and I'm tying mm-hmm. you up. There's a little bit more I guess meanness I don't know just a little bit more snark and a little bit more more edge edge. there you go yeah Yeah. I I like it because then it's also that because it makes the bad guys who's fighting like really upset Yes. Because here's this like skinny kid in this costume. I'm a big, strong guy and he's whooping my butt and also making fun of my. He adds injury or he adds insult to injury with vicious mockery. Yes. Right? That is the vicious the mockery of that vicious yeah. mockery power. Bard Spider Man for mm-hmm. sure. If I play devil's advocate here and don't go with Into the Spider-Verse, I would say I also really appreciated Spider-Man No Way Home, which is the third movie in the Tom Holland trilogy. And what I like about it is that it pulled a little bit of that Spider-Verse idea bringing in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. And I thought those moments where they had a moment when they had time to like talk to each other and the, and the differences in their canons, if you will. One of my favorite scenes is when they're talking about the webs, you like make webs (laughs) in your body. And then I'm like, don't say it. Don't say, does it come out of anywhere else? No, just my art, just my hands. And like, you know, I never got to fight someone deranged. I want to, I want to go into space. Like the way they, (laughs) they, they wrote that in, I thought was very good. And also the problem I had with the Tom Holland series is that Spider-Man didn't, he didn't have, he got everything he wanted. He got MJ. He got Aunt May and a father figure in what's his face and, and Robert and, Downey and, Jr. Definitely not Robert Downey Jr. Not in the Spider Man. Happy, thank you. The father figure is Tony Stark. Yes, but that's what Annalise is saying. Oh, yes, you're right. I'm but in the Spider Man movies, Iron Man doesn't make as in the Tom Holland standalone movies. Iron Man doesn't play as big of a role. He's there and he makes appearances, but Happy is there all the time and okay. also at some point dates Aunt May. Right. That's a that's, that's true. That's really a good argument i hadn't thought of that perspective before tony stark is like his idol right right happy Happy is his father figure because he's a dorky dad yes oh my gosh boom but wow i actually like made something right in this argument because i know very little about spider-man compared to you two i i like the way no way home eventually he's paying the prices 
right? He's he's finally having to deal with the Peter Parker versus Spider-Man things. It all and it all comes in in just a wonderful series of events in in that third film. So it's a little bit of everything that we've mentioned we like about Spider-Man all in one film. So Devil's Advocate, if I had to go against the fact that all three of us love Into the Spider-Verse, just like Andrew said with uh, the Andrew Garfield movies, Andrew and the Andrew, look at that. The the No Way Home would be my pick if I had to go against the green. And also Andrew Garfield's Amazing Spider-Man gets so much love in No Way Home. He, I think he really... I think he shines the most out of the three. Hmm. And again, maybe it's just because I'm most familiar with him because he's my favorite. But even in the scenes where they're all swinging, I can always tell, oh, that's him. Because he's the one who's all like whooping and cheering and having a great time. Mm-hmm. I love the scene of him when he lands in the, the living room with Zendaya and she's throwing bread at him. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why'd you do that? So I wanted to see if you had the spidey thing. I have the spidey thing, but not for bread. He's so good. <laughs> Crawl yeah, on the ceiling. Yeah. And no, I don't need. Yeah, you're deeply mistrusting, but I like it. So he jumps up and puts his hand up and hangs off. Now crawl around. I don't need to do that. Do it. And she throws more bread at him. Like that whole scene is (laughs) just, it's golden. It's golden. I love it. He is really good. It is definitely no fault of Andrew Garfield why he didn't get that full trilogy. That was just an absolute failure by Sony Pictures to not get their stuff together and give him a cool trilogy like everybody else got. Are you sure it wasn't his fault? I heard he was like so problematic. I thought I read that he was so problematic on the set. They just didn't want to hire him back for the third one. I don't think no. that's true. No? Maybe. I, okay. We could look. But based Listeners, on the way that Sony in. was doing movies at that time with like their Fantastic Four movie and uh... their, they were just putting junk out there to keep their licensing. And... Yeah. Maybe, maybe someone tried to blame him. Just Maybe that's what I read. Well, what's your favorite Peter Parker? So when I put this question out there, this could be like who the Peter Parker is, but I was thinking it more like there's so many different versions of Peter Parker, right? He's been around since the 60s, 50 years of Spider-Man. There's high school Peter Parker. There's college Peter Parker. There's different multiverses Peter Parker. There's the Peter Parker where he's a teacher. There's a Peter Parker where he's a scientist. There's a Peter Parker where he's like this huge Steve Jobs level corporate inventor. There's all kinds of Peter parkers he's so, like ken he's like ken is he knuff he's just he's knuff for me he's just ken <laughs> so which one so i read that uh, i read that differently obviously right because my knowledge of, of spider-man did. so how did you oh yeah interesting <laughs> i just went with the films since i was most familiar with them and i went with tom holland because tom holland was born upon this earth through the blessing of jesus christ lord and savior and religious so he can so he can play spider-man he was brought to this earth he is the perfect at least the high school if i go to that first movie homecoming and the origin story and the way they tell it he was born at that moment to play spider-man because it's so good and he's so good at it in that first movie it's just viable throughout every appearance he makes even in the rest of the mcu you're talking about right place at the right time he was a perfect spider-man 
and that was Civil War, right? Was it mm-hmm. in Civil War yes. where you were like, this is the guy when he's flipping around and he's making wisecracks and he steals Captain America's shield with his webs? Well, I mm-hmm. remember watching that with you and even because I watched them late. Remember when I first moved back mm-hmm. home and we were watching them all late and looking over and you're like, I still get goosebumps when they when they start to show the scene of like Manhattan and like, yeah, the way they brought him in, how he played that character, it's perfection. It's it it's Stan Lee's idea jumping into real life. Did we see Civil War in theaters? Oh, yeah. Because I, I definitely remember us going crazy. <laughs> when Tony Stark was like, I know a guy. Queens, New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember you, you you paused it and told me that story when we were watching it. I went that way. I went with the actor. And, oh, of wow. course, I am I, my my sample size is so small. Because <laughs> I've only seen a few, but that's what I went with. What did what did you go with? Tom Holland is the second coming and COVID was the rapture. We all paid the price. Thank you. There are so many different versions of Peter Parker, and I'm kind of looking through the timeline of Peter Parker canons. And I think what I have to go with is original, original flavor or even a new flavor of high school Peter Parker. I think that is where at his core that's where Peter Parker belongs. That's where he started. And every time we go back to high school, even when it's updated to not 60s high school, but modern high school, there's always a way for Peter Parker to be that that victim or that forgotten person, right? Whether it's Flash Thompson sticking him in a locker or it's him reading over somebody's shoulder that they're texting about him and making fun of him kind of thing. It is, oh, here I am in this classroom. I have to be here. I hate it here i'm not popular i want to be like this person i want to have the you know the grades of this person or the physique of this person or the popularity of this person but i don't because i have this responsibility to be spider-man i'm out all night i don't get my homework done and my teachers trash on me i can't go out with my friends or or make friends because i gotta go be spider-man i have this responsibility and while i love being spider-man and i'm doing the right thing peter parker the high schooler is always suffering for it that teen angst and that teen drama that we see so many times in like coming of age stories and things is super relatable. That's why there's so many different versions of it all across media. And so that's where my favorite Peter Parker is high school Peter Parker. Well, I, I I came into this one a little late, but when I read favorite Peter Parker, I said, all right, clearly we're, we're capitalizing on the trends. We're trying to bring the multiverse into this, right? Mm, okay. Who's my favorite variant mm-hmm. on Peter Parker? For that, I have to say, I have to go with Spider-Man Noir, specifically from the Into the Spider-Verse movie. What does it smell like? Wherever I go, the wind follows. And the wind, it smells like rain. Into the Spider-Verse took a relatively small side character who appeared in the Spider-Verse event and then had like four issues on his own. They turned him into the funniest character in that movie. Nicolas Cage, who does his voice, delivers every line perfectly. Where the he's hanging from the thing and his his cape is blowing, his recurring bit with the Rubik's Cube, but he doesn't <laughs> since he's from mm-hmm. since he's from black and white, he can't yes. see color, so uh-huh. he doesn't know how to solve it. I think my favorite line in that movie is when Miles like bursts into the house and he's like, My uncle, he's the prowler, he's trying to kill me. And Spider-Man Noir on the couch goes, That's a pretty hardcore origin story, kid. <laughs> like <laughs> it's perfect. He absolutely steals the show. I love Peter Parker, Spider-Man Noir. 
Yeah, I wish the comic book had been not better, but different. Spider-Man Noir is in that movie because he existed in the comics first. And so there's like a mini series of Spider-Man Noir. And it's this weird tale of an alternate 1940s that's like really gritty. And and there's a big like kind of Lovecraftian horror element to it with with the villains are these terrible monster versions of themselves. I didn't care for it. Like, if you had asked me before Spider-Verse, like, oh, Spider-Man Noir, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, the costume's cool, but I wouldn't read it. It's pretty sucky. Mm. Which is, it's surprising, because you'd think Spider-Man Noir Lovecraftian horror would be right up our alleys but Mm, i don't know i didn't i didn't think the art was very good and it didn't it's weird but what i want now is a comic book series of like the hard-boiled detective Mm -hmm. version Mm -hmm. of Mm spider-man in the streets of the 40s but who knows if we'll ever get that no i i like the idea of of thinking of all the different different creative spider-manses they came up with with the with the uh spider-verse movie i just i really appreciate that there's more female representation in those as well there's not a single one of those that they bring forward or even ones that don't get to talk and when they're Mm -hmm. walking in the second movie they're walking through the hub and there's just all these different versions and you can like choose your own adventure on what they mean and where they come from is pretty impressive. Like we were talking about with Star Wars last week. It gives you just enough. You can see a Spider-Man in a different costume and it gives you just enough to let you fill in what that world must be like. Yep. I love it. Good call, Andrew. Well, that leads us to kind of its own origin story, your favorite comic version of Spider-Man. And I'm just going to go first because truth time. I've not read a single Spider-Man comic book. Not a single one. Get off the podcast. (laughs) Unbelievable. I have one. I bought a cover to one. I bought one with a really cool cover that's in black and white. I have no idea which version of it is, and I've never opened it because I just think the cover is really cool. But that's my, I'm a fake nerd with Spider-Man. What do you guys got? The thing about that is there's so much Spider-Man. Spider-Man is so popular that they're like, sometimes Spider-Man publishes every week. Sometimes Spider-Man publishes every two weeks instead of once a month, like every other (laughs) comic book, right? It is insane how much Spider-Man is out there. And to curate that list, even if you took like, oh, what are the most popular storylines of Spider-Man? You'd still have 300 different recommendations to read. I'm going to go with very difficult. There's so many cool Mm Spider-Mans, especially in like the recent era of like Dan Slott and those those folks. But I'm going to go all the way back to Nothing Stops the Juggernaut. Nothing Stops the Juggernaut is one of those kind of original run spider stories probably by what's oh, his face? It, it's right there oh is it really <laughs> roger stern roger stern oh see i would have guessed gary conway but it definitely has that john ramita art nothing stops the juggernaut is that story where like oh the juggernaut is here which the juggernaut is like an x-men villain super huge dude with the big red helmet and he can just blow through walls and like he's got like his power is something about like inertia where once he gets going and like running like a running back in football like he can just go through like nothing can stop him he just keeps his momentum going and can break through anything with this crazy you know magic helmet and all this kind of stuff and so spider-man has to figure out a way to stop him and he can't he keeps trying things like oh okay i'll put webs in front of him now blows right through him okay well i'll stand in front of him and try to hold him back with all my strength and he can't he just gets absolutely beat the heck up and all this kind of stuff this is one of the one of the well-told stories because he has to bring in the peter parker to solve the problem right he has to out clever the problem instead of using ours to fight the problem. It just gives us, I even put a little picture in our notes 
of this classic John Romita art of him just being buried under all of this rubble and thinking oh, yeah. and like water dripping down on the helmet and the descriptions of like purple prose of how devastating this is and how he's going to die here yeah. and has to just keep pushing he has to keep he has to keep trying he has to summon his strength there's so many comic books where like the power of squinting we can tell if the problem is outside of the superhero's power because they're being held down but if they squint really hard they can <laughs> they can lift the big building or save the right person. right right uh so and squatting get... squinting and squatting right squinting <laughs> and squatting the muscles bulging and kind of saves his and, and saves his own life right and that panel of john ramita art is one of the things where it's like yes that is a original spider-man to me and that's also and it keeps coming up right it was so it was so popular that change in the storytelling of like oh you know what there he is he's just getting beat up and beat up and beat up he has to figure out a way to solve the problem rather than just spider-man power it that happening in the 60s and it happening again and again and again as different our authors paid homage to it we see all the way up to the greatest superhero movie of all time spider-verse like that is probably the most powerful moment in that movie is when the kingpin has beat up miles morales and he's down there and he's just bloody and beaten and black eyed and defeated and there's his dad get up spider-man get up spider-man and just like this comic book frame Miles Morales pushes himself up and kind of stands there shakily all jacked up and beat up and continues the fight. This panel that you have, and we'll put in our newsletter for our Patreon subscribers, Spider-Man's in danger. And Mm -hmm. that's something because he's a teen for his origin story. I think it's something that doesn't happen very often often unless you are a comic book reader and see him go through all of these multiple adventures mm-hmm. you don't see spider-man in that much danger very often in a world where superheroes are constantly being adapted and different takes on them are being put forward by so many different writers i like to think of what i call like quintessential moments where this truly inhabits what this character is And for me, for an adaptation to pass the test, I think, would this take on the character fit in this situation? Can you imagine this Spider-Man doing this thing? Which brings me to Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, issue six of volume two. We start right in the middle of the action with Spider-Man and his famous sidekick, Spider-Butt. You you remember Spider-Bite and how Spider-Man famously has a sidekick? I thought you said Spider-Butt. No, (laughs) Spider-Bite with a Y. Oh, you know. Because he's digital. You know, he's everyone's oh. favorite Spider-Man sidekick. He's an E-sidekick. Yeah. Say he's a rapper. Are, what's going Spider on? Spider-Bite. I'm you're here saying, tonight. What? You're saying what? Spider-Man right. a sidekick. And stop. That's not, what are we doing? I'm rapping like Spider-Bite. Just like Lil Wayne. Dude, Lil Wayne can rhyme every word with Spider-Man in the universe. There's There are songs on that soundtrack where Lil Wayne says Spider-Man like 4,000 times <laughs> in the same song. So you're you're reading it and you go, wait, spider bite? Like I've I've never what's going on here? And then of course, Spider-Man and Spider Bite, they're after the box, which is just a golden rectangular box that is never explained what it is. Spider-Man says, Hey partner, spider bite, why are we after this box again? And Spider Bite goes, Cause that's what we need for the mission. And you're like, All right. I understand what's happening here. And they have to go up against the Sinister 60, which is 60 of Spider-Man's most famous villains. And they have to battle their way through all of them. And of course, the big bad behind it all is 
Stilt Man, mm-hmm. the organizer of the entire event, but through it all, Spider-Man and Spider-Bite take him down and they get the box. And Spider-Man says, so uh, now that we have the box, we should see what's inside. We got to figure it out. And Spider-Bite goes, I know what's inside. And he opens it and it's a Spider-Man action figure. And then we zoom out to Spider-Man in the cancer ward of a hospital. He's with a young kid and every nurse in that building is there each wearing a different Spider-Man villain costume, and his dad brought in giant stilts Mm -hmm. to be Stilt Man. This, essentially like a -a make-a-wish kid, that was his wish, is he wanted to be Spider-Man's sidekick for a day and fight crime with him. And then the staff comes up to him and he's like, all right, you know, like, that was great. You know, say, say goodbye. Spider-Man, it was very nice for him to come here. You know, it's time to, like, it's it's late. You gotta go to bed. And he, he starts crying. He says, no, like, I, I can't. I, I don't want to go to sleep. And so they take Spider-Man out of the room and he's talking to the parents and he says, and he's like, well, I get it. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go to bed either. And they say, no, he's worried that if he goes to sleep, he won't wake up again. It's two pages. The first one is three panels and it's Spider-Man, Spider-Man looking through the window as bed and Spider-Man turning back and he says, does he have a coat? And then it's Spider-Man carrying him in his arms and swinging through the city. Full page. Full page. No text. No text. Just it's in it, almost an homage to the amazing fantasy, the first cover where he's swinging with the guy yes. on his shoulder, but he's cradling this kid, a hospital kid. Yeah. And swinging through the city one last time. It's so beautiful. What a choice, Andrew. What a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And that story, that story exists on a different relatable level. That's not the character being relatable. That is us living in a world with 50 years of Spider-Man yes. being relatable. Right? Yeah. And what it means to kids. To yeah. all of us. Love it. The next category we have is favorite writer or run. And again, about that truth time. <laughs> <laughs> it, I answered Stanley. Let's I'll go with the the OG, the guy who created, helped create and bring Spider-Man to the world. But I will say if I were more familiar with the comic books, I imagine for run, I would really like the Miles Morales run. It's one that at the time I do set aside to read Spider-Man comics, I think I'm going to read that that series. Yes, and mine goes right along with that. Annalise, that Miles Morales Spider-Man was created by Brian Michael Bendis, who Mm -hmm. is my favorite Spider-Man writer. Brian Michael Bendis wrote the Ultimate Spider-Man series of the 2000s. It was a relaunch of Spider-Man for the new era or for the digital age or for whatever. But that happened to hit when I was in college and I was going to the comic book store every Wednesday because I'm in college now. I've got my own car. I've got my own job. I've got my own money. I can kind of get into those nerdy things. And so I saw that on the shelf. I picked it up. The writing is fantastic. Nobody writes dialogue like Brian Michael Bendis. The art is very different than everything that was coming out. I heard somebody talking recently about some of the brilliance of that art because it is so simple. In the 90s, the trend in comic book was to make everything like dark and gritty and Mm -hmm, put a lot of mm -hmm. lines and pouches and zippers on the costume because everybody's a little bit Batman where you got to have all your stuff, you right. know, your utility right there. And when Ultimate Spider-Man came out, it's just like, it's just a dude in spandex. It's a skinny kid in spandex. There's nothing right. crazy going on. The villains are like, hey, it's Vulture. He's a dude in a green sweater with like white wings on his arms that somehow make him fly. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be 
a giant flying contraption. It just it's just a comic book kind of thing, yeah. right? So that was cool about it that it really changed and went the other direction there. But the writing is fantastic. It does something very similar to the way Miles Morales was later and what we see in the Spider-Verse where it's the same stories, but just changed a little bit, modernized, updated. Culturally relevant. Very good. Thank you. That is perfect. With a great artist and, and a fantastic writer. So, And it really hooked me at that time to get into comic books seriously for real. I was yeah. at that comic when the, that series was running, it was going every two weeks. And I was at that comic book store every week buying comics, being excited about comics because of Ultimate Spider-Man. My favorite part of Ultimate Spider-Man is the shocker. I love yeah? I love the shocker. He's the only one who calls himself the shocker. Everyone else just calls him Herman. And he's just like a guy <laughs> who at the start of like every other issue, it'll be like, we need to establish Spider-Man fighting crime. It'll be him hanging out of a car with like a different jacket and we're like yeah i'm the shocker and then spider-man takes him out in one hand he's like you suck oh you again herman oh come on herman <laughs> what about you andrew your favorite writer or your favorite run yeah my favorite run on spider-man is superior spider-man written by dan slot this is the run where dr octopus on his deathbed, one last scheme is he does a Freaky Friday brain swap with Spider-Man. His mind is in Spider-Man's body, and it turns out perfectly because Peter Parker's mind goes into Dr. Octopus's body, and then Dr. Octopus's body dies because Ooh. he's old and has been getting beaten up by Spider-Man for like 50 years. Peter Parker is gone, and Dr. Octopus is Spider-Man now. And this is the, this stays a thing for like a long time. This wasn't like a few issues like, oh, this is like a a fun gimmick. No, this was like years. Yeah. Like Like, this was was what? This is Spider-Man now? Yeah. Spider-Man is Dr. Octopus? Like you kept thinking like, oh yeah, let's see how they bring him back. Oh yeah, let's see how they bring him back. And he done. Yeah. (laughs) For like, for like the first year of this happening, Peter Parker was like a little blue conscious ghost in Dr. Octopus's mind. And then Dr. Octopus goes, this guy's annoying. And then he fully kills Peter Parker's mind and spirit. And he's, it's like this for years. And that's such a, I'm so like, I'm impressed that they committed to it Mm -hmm. that hard. The trust in Dan Slott that Marvel had to do this was absolutely incredible. My other like favorite detail about it is it's, it's really, it's a small thing, but it's that Dr. Octopus fights crime like a supervillain because even though, you know, he's Spider-Man and he's he's got to stop the purse snatchers. He goes, well, I'm too good for catching purse snatchers. So I'll hire henchmen yep. to be my Spider-Man goons who will go out and fight and catch the purse snatchers. And I prefer to have more intellectual battles of wits against my villains. So if there's ever a big monster, I'll send in my Spider-Man mech to go fight it while I do other things. It's That funny. is the brilliance yeah. of it. It answers the question, what if the supervillain was the hero, but not in a, oh, anti-hero way, like mm-hmm. the Punisher, but like... No, like the real supervillains, the guys who want to build robots and have henchmen and do those things. Mm -hmm. He's good at it. And that's the thing. He deems himself the superior Spider-Man because Mm -hmm. he's he knows in his heart of hearts he's smarter than Spider-Man. He's smarter than Peter Parker. It absolutely kills him that Peter Parker Spider-Man has bested him so many times. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to kill Peter Parker and be a better Spider-Man, a superior Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. And that's how he gets his revenge is by being a better superhero than Spider-Man. It's it's perfect. It's a perfect Dr. Octopus like final scheme 
Yes. It just makes so much sense. And I like that so much more than just using Spider-Man, his brain and Spider-Man's body to do more evil, right? right? Yeah. He's gone the total, like, that sounds like an uh, ultimate D&D campaign, right? That's thinking in line of the character instead of tropes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the easy way out, right? Yeah. Dr. Octopus becomes Spider-Man and Spider-Man robs a bank and he's like, oh no, his, his reputation is ruined. Exactly. Like, I think that's, that's, that's been done before. Well, that's the plot of that 1960s cartoon where the, Two mm-hmm. Spider Mans are pointing at each other because the one guy puts on the suit and then does bad things to ruin Spider Man. Actually, reputation. that don't quote me on this. That might be his first issue with the chameleon. Because I know the chameleon is like the first villain he fought. I think that's what he does. Yeah. Is he dresses mm-hmm. up as Spider Man and does crimes. Right. So this took it to an absolute next level. Yeah. Well, speaking of villains, who's your favorite villain? I can go first. To me, Spider-Man's greatest villain is poverty. When you have those Spider-Man stories, it is the heartstrings that are pulled are him and Aunt May living in their house in Queens on their very small fixed income and him wanting to do things to help but his Spider-Man responsibilities keep getting in the way of him having that after-school job or being able to stick with his commitments and do things. It's the driving force behind him becoming a photographer at the Daily Bugle, right? Is he right, can take right. pictures of Spider-Man, you know, set up his camera and get pictures of him fighting and then go try to sell them to J. Jonah Jameson, the biggest jerk in the world who yeah. abuses him and underpays him and those kinds of things. And he brings home that measly money to Aunt May. He forgot to pick up the groceries and he forgot this and stuff and a lot of the peter parker motivations and drama come from he's got us he's trying to save up for a motorcycle or he's trying to save up so he can pay for his college tuition or he's trying to save up to get aunt may a birthday cake for her birthday or those kinds of things there's so much struggle and so much of what we know as Spider-Man stories because of poverty, because he never has enough money. Obviously, that's relatable to a lot of people too. And I went similar to that, only instead of poverty, it's himself. I feel like I understood the whole idea that Spider-Man is the uh, tale of two mm-hmm. sides, right? Tale of each side of the coin with Peter Parker and all the things, all his responsibilities as a person, and then all the things he's trying to do as Spider-Man, his biggest enemy, his biggest villain is himself and trying to figure out how to balance those two things. As a kid, given these tremendous responsibilities and trying to navigate adolescence and growing up and having trying to have a girlfriend friend and 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 with i have these i've been bestowed these powers and there's people who are bad and i hold guilt to my uncle ben's death he fights with himself and which direction he should go constantly so i put himself as his his as my favorite villain of spider-man and you know a lot of high school kids and they all have a different story and they're all yes. dealing with different things and different traumas and things that get in their own way yes. because of how they're viewing what they have to do or what they can't do because of their personal lives and things that they're dealing with around them. It's 100% the thing that we counsel the most in kids, high school kids, past 25 years has been exactly that, obviously, without the spider bite and vigilante heroism, which you'd actually be surprised we deal with, I can't talk about, but we deal with as well, kids who who think their job is to protect and save the world and end up doing it in a manner that actually gets them in trouble. Absolutely. I mean, it is, it was called amazing, it was originally called amazing fantasy for a reason, right? Mm -hmm, It was, mm -hmm. it's the idea of, I'm a high school kid with all these problems and all of these things in my way but my amazing fantasy is i could rise above it all swing through the city with confidence and power 
and it would solve all my problems. And we know that that's not right. the case. And yeah, that's right. again, the brilliance. It yep. doesn't solve any of the problems. Yeah. What about you, Andrew? In my opinion, Spider-Man's greatest foe, one that he has battled in every single adaptation ever, and one that he will likely continue to battle forevermore, is love. The thing about Spider-Man that isn't necessarily relatable is that for a nerdy loser kid, Peter Parker has unprecedented levels of game. He got the riz. He is getting hounded by Mary Jane Watson, (laughs) Gwen Stacy, Betty Brant, Carly Cooper, the black cat. Yep. <laughs> and he's just like, he's some guy with glasses and like a woolen sweater that is aunt knit him. The, the reason for this is because, you know, early Spider-Man was a high school relationship soap drama, yep. right? Yeah. Especially in the yeah. newspaper. Mm-hmm. The newspaper version of Spider-Man was very much in line with like Mary Worth or, uh, you know, the it, more You know what? I newspapers. I did read that version of Spider-Man in the Sunday Funnies growing up for yeah. sure. Yeah. And yeah, it was like, oh, this is what high school is like. I think that that's, in my mind, is a very funny aspect of his life. I don't know if that's necessarily been adapted in too many of like the major like film adaptations. I think they mainly kind I of... would think so, especially in the Andrew Garfield ones. I mean, they do the death of Gwen Stacy right. in that in one of those movies, but it was but... also kind of a a next step where high school Peter Parker his problems all had to do with being bullied in high school. When he got to college, it was more like having a job and mm-hmm. trying to have a relationship were right. the more adult problems that he had to deal with. And then but of yeah. course you have the Spider-Verse one where the older 40-year-old sweatpants Spider-Man has to go back to his universe and try to repair his relationship with Mary Jane mm-hmm. and then he pops up in the second movie with a baby. So you have a you have a point Andrew there's there's a lot of that in every every storyline. And he also he can't like give back that love and attention because you can't make date night if you got to be trading blows with the vulture. Right. And oh no, is that my girl having milk with another guy nothing i can do about it now i've gotta go stop the scorpion Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then they get there's the burning building and flash thompson heroically leads mary jane out of the fire (laughs) and she goes oh peter why can't you be a hero like flash and and he looks off into the distance and half of his face is the spider-man yes (laughs) ouch well final words about spider-man he's the best he's the best Spider-Man is the best for all sorts of reasons. And I think whether it's the newest arc or something from when you were a kid or something from before you were alive, you can pick up a Spider-Man story and you can get consistency and uh, just that sense of who the character is. Obviously, Marvel takes great care of Spider-Man. Spider-Man is their flagship hero, is their legacy, and um, they choose really good writers to put on Spider-Man and give them a lot of trust to do the right thing. Read read yourself some Spider-Man comics. Mm. I think this episode is a testament to how many layers Spider-Man has, right? He's definitely not one-dimensional. He's four-dimensional. He's like a tesseract of (laughs) different things. Like, you can look at him from so many different lenses and think about everything in so many different ways because he's, he's been around for a long time and he's got a lot of history and he's got a lot of very cool interpretations.
All right, it's that time. Andrew, what is the nerdiest thing you did this week? Now that I've found myself in high school and with friends for some reason, I am in, frankly, too many tabletop RPG games, most of them being Dungeons & Dragons. However, I recently got the chance to start playing a Monster of the Week game, which uses the Powered by the Apocalypse system, and it's your kind of, like, supernatural Buffy the Vampire Slayer type game where you and your crew fight monsters every day. And my character is a vampire. My character is the grandson of Dracula, who has moved to America with the goal of squandering as much of his potential as possible to make his dad mad at him. <laughs> I don't know where you got and this so, idea. <laughs> and Cats so, in the cradle um, and seal the <laughs> and so I was thinking to myself, well, I mean, if Dracula dies in like 1895 when the book comes out, like what has been happening with vampires in the intervening like hundred or so years? I'm just going to like make a quick little little Google Doc, try and figure things out. And then, you know, I, I it, like Moon Knight, it like flashes to black and then I wake up and it's midnight and I have written vampire lore for 100 years of history. <laughs> Good for you. And I'm in a cold sweat. My fingers and it's probably are better than Twilight. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but, you know, now I need to go run off the recording and go to play that game right now today. No, Powered good, by the Apocalypse, good. is that the same system as Masks? Yes. And what other games um, do they have under their umbrella? Do you know off the top of your head? They have Masks. They have Apocalypse World, which is kind of ah. their flagship system. Okay. They have Urban Shadows oh, as well is another one. They also have a bunch of like space ones. I don't remember the name, but I know there's like a cool space okay, one. Cool. The only thing I know about that one is that one of the playbooks is you're the spaceship. <laughs> and one of your moves is like divert power to forward shields. That's the only thing. I, I don't remember the <laughs> name, fun. but I know it's like, oh, that's the fun thing. That's incredible. How about you, Rob? What's the nerdiest thing you did this week? I mentioned last episode starting the new D&D campaign. That has taken a lot of my time. Like that is my focus right now is making different documents and setting up different reminders for myself, reading character backstories and putting them big plot hooks and stuff that I want to go back to. But I talked about that last week. So this week, this is an interesting one to talk about. I'm working, it's not for you, but I'm working on a Christmas gift for a friend that mm -hmm. has to do with a large 3D printing and painting project. Ooh, exciting. And so it's a lot of fun, but when does this episode come out? This episode will air... <laughs> well before Christmas. Oh, yeah. So we're not, we're not going to say too much more than that, probably until it comes out. But the time that I have not spent... The hobby time I've spent not on that campaign has been on this big project, which I'm also very excited about. Very cool. I foresee bonus patreon content in our future oh yes absolutely that would be really fun to kind of take a look at what we were doing tonight. get some pictures or video of it in progress and we'll right. do something with that well for me i know i've talked about it almost every episode this season but since the last time we recorded an episode to today final girl series three officially opened on kickstarter they hit a million dollars in backers in the first like three days of the campaign so this is only like the i think the fourth kickstarter project that i've backed the first was that game called skeptics which i backed it right 
like a day or two before it closed. The second was Final Girl Series 2, where I went all in. Also, you you like brought that to my attention right towards the end of the campaign. Mm. And that campaign hit 2 million. It was already almost there when I backed it at the time. And I went all in, which was everything Series 1 and Series 2. And then the third one was the one we shared that we're still waiting for our delivery of Marvel Zombies. Marvel Zombies. And have you seen the new one they just launched? No. Come on, games. No. Yeah. What is it? It's the DC version of Marvel Zombies. So it's all the DC. (laughs) I don't want to talk about it right now because what I did is my fourth project now is backing Final Girl. And I made an oopsie because I forgot being so new to Kickstarter that they don't charge you until the campaign closes. So I went to my Final Girl group where the like, the creator of the, of the, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. The creator of the game is on this created this this facebook group and i went i gotta wait till payday but i can't wait to pledge and they were like you know they don't charge you until (laughs) unless it backs right because that's the risk there right you don't get charged unless the project backs even if it backs right away yeah this is the conclusion where i said no i didn't remember that i'm gonna go back it now at first i wasn't (laughs) going to am i going to but oh my gosh they did such a phenomenal job it had three of my four must-haves no ghost face but something very close to it something that looks like ghost face but it's actually modeled after the saw character so it's a it's a little of a little puppet guy kind of things uh yeah but it's not a puppet it's actually a girl with a white mask so Right, because these are ripoffs. They're not exactly. Of course, yeah, it's right, uh, right, right? legally distinct versions. Uh huh. So I, I got a little bit of what I wanted out of it, and and the the girl in the white mask plays games, so it's like Saw, but there's a little bit of ghost face in there. What's nerdy about it for me is because I backed it so early. Now I'm like constantly checking for emails, and did we make this stretch goal? And what's the next stretch goal? And that's right when we were starting to record today. I went, oh my gosh, we did it. We've made the next stretch goal and i was i was looking at it like add up live as just right before we were recording i was checking our nerd mail and whoo 1.75 million the next stretch goal unlocked it's a promo mini and uh they have these bonus characters one of them is based off of a real person and the stretch goals for this campaign is making minis for these promo final girls that weren't in the feature films so no, okay yeah it's super exciting it's super nerdy i'm like watching i'm like i'm like refreshing that <laughs> page maybe wait twice you have a to day. refresh the page they don't send you emails every freaking milestone like some they, people do they like, they do <laughs> but i don't update have time number 44 to... kickstarter update number 45 <laughs> kickstarter update number 46 i'm like it's noon <laughs> yeah so it that definitely happens but i don't open my personal email at work so i just have the page open kind of in the background and i'll just go to it and refresh <laughs> it and see where it's at so that's a me thing i just i don't open my personal email on my work devices so the nerdiest thing i did this week was one back series three i got the core box not the core box the ultimate box which is that cool artwork box that you've seen with all the little feature films and the storage solutions how they have it and they have some new features this year instead there's like that VCR box on the top that holds the neoprene mats. This series that's holding what they call a special effects box that has a side neoprene mat for some added like tracking in the game. Mm -hmm. They have a new thing called a tear tracker. You can roll with these alternate dice and if you fail you get like a little teardrop and you can get some bonuses the more teardrops you get. And it comes with a little final girl dice tray. There's always a mystery box. And the mystery box in the picture is like, and I've shown them to you, the two mystery boxes so far have the little dice inside. One is the Book of Horrors. You knew the name of it. I always forget the name of it. It's a Necronomicon? book. Necronomicon? 
Yes, thank you. So that's the first mystery box. And when you open it, it's got two dice in it, one for the location and one for the killer. So you can roll dice and and pick that killer and that location to play a game. They did something similar for Series 2. This one, Series 3 mystery box, is rumored to possibly be a Final Girl dice tower. But that's the rumor. I don't know if that's... I won't know until it arrives what it is. Am I right that last time we recorded, you were talking about joining the Facebook group and like yes. trying different strategies? Have you yes. since gotten a chance to win the game yet? Oh, yes. Thank you. I finally won a game. I finally won my first game out of like 10 tries with the different strategies. And it was like when I picked up a weapon, I just immediately went to Hans. That's the name of the the one they they recommend is the easiest in series one. I haven't even played series two yet because I haven't beaten the series one character. So finally won a game. I was super excited. I posted it to that Facebook group. Everyone's like, yeah, it was like really cool. (laughs) So actually, when we're done recording today i'm probably gonna play a different finally a different location and killer for series one and i've got to also i've got to find time to start painting series two because i did the slap chop and they've been sitting in a box did you also get think there was talk about a game table or like a a portable table or game table you were going to get set up so that you could more easily have access to games did that happen or you got to like get out everything on the box and set it up today Uh, yeah well so I put it away every gameplay, even though I would love to just leave the mats out and stuff, but that's because I have a cat and there's so oh, many yeah, that stuff will get lost. minis and stuff like <laughs> that. So I just, I put it away every time, but I did get a good game table that's portable. So it's about four to six inches larger than a card table. So like. Um, mm-hmm. when I play Mansions of Madness with all those tiles, or when I play Dark Tower, that big neoprene board fits on this table, but it also, the legs fold up and it folds in half and it goes in the closet of the nerd room. So I bring it out every time I want to play because the desk I have isn't big enough to hold some of those games. It yeah. was barely big enough to hold Final Girl. And that was with like having all the pieces on a shelf that I would get up and go get when I needed them. This one, the t- this table is perfect size, a little bit bigger than a car table, folds up perfectly. Maybe I'll put that in our our bonus content, a link to that, so people can decide if it works for their spaces as well. Good for you. I'm glad you're having so much fun. Yeah, I love Final Girl. Next episode, Arlise. It's the place we met, where we bonded, where we became nerds together. It's the episode we've been mulling over since the inception of this podcast. Oh, boy. We're going to talk about the nerdiest thing in all nerddom, marching band. Marching band! And not (laughs) only was it where we met and bonded and became BFFs forever, we also encountered it as adults. So we got quite the story to tell, and... The state of marching band now and 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 uh, it's going to be a fun episode. Maybe a special guest or two. That would be fun too. Get some of yeah. our old marching band buddies. Absolutely. Remember to subscribe, share, and give us that five star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media platforms at Nerd Best Friends, or send a message by writing to podcast at nerdbestfriends.com. Well, thanks, Andrew. Well, it was a pleasure to have on have you on the podcast. Thanks Absolutely. for being on the show again, Andrew. Hopefully, I'll uh, get to guest star in more episodes in the future. I have a feeling. I'm going to go play Final Girl. That's what I'm doing today. I'm going to go spray prime a bunch of 3D prints. <laughs> Take pictures. Bonus content. Find us on Patreon, everybody. Thank you for listening.
thought this was, I thought that was my introduction. Do you see a line on here? Do you see where it says Andrew Dash something? I'm sorry. Do you see I'm sorry. anything I'm sorry. on here Annalise, that would make Annalise you Annalise said we were going more improv-oriented. I was trying to guess and here. I see set up. The improv starts at number seven, Jeez where me. it says Andrew. All right, cool. Batman. That was that was a well-timed bark. We couldn't, like, get Dodger to bark on cue. <laughs> well, if I play devil's advocate too, uh, here, I would also say film ad- adaptation. I really, really like No Way Out, which is the third of the Tom Holland series. Nope. The hell is, is it- No Way Out? That is called No Way Home, my friend. No Way Home. Thank you. <laughs> That's okay. She called Star Wars The Last Hope the other day. Everything's a horror movie to Annalise. It's like, yes, it no is. Way out. The last hope. <laughs> you know what it was for the last hope? I, I was thinking about the last Skywalker and I knew that wasn't the name Jesus of it. Jesus Christ. That's not what that's called either. Rise of Skywalker? You mean the, the last final Jedi? No, the, it isn't the last one is the, the last it's not is the last of Skywalker. Jedi. Is rise of but Skywalker. Why would the rise of Skywalker make you think yeah. of the last hope? I don't know because it was hope <laughs> and it was the last one and leave, leave me alone. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, if I, I played... love Spider-Man locked in my home. <laughs> that was the you know what, you know yeah. what I remember? Spider-Man the, locked the down. Way, the way I remember those titles is He's how wearing Tom masks, Holland. But for a completely different reason. The way oh, Tom Holland um, described him was he, he filmed Homecoming thousands of miles away from his home and he filmed far from home where he lived. Where he's from. That's how I remember it. But for some reason, No Way Out is what I 